I'm excited today because we are going to be continuing a series we didn't have planned to continue. And so it meant a free week of no prep, right? Uh, right. <laughs> um, it actually, it's, it's uh, last week, if you were with us, we had a one-off week where we were talking about life choices and a conversation around the Supreme Court draft that came about overturning Roe vs. Wade. And there were lots of questions that we gathered from you over, I think it was almost 58 of them which we boiled down to about 10 to 12 to get through. And last week, we accomplished half of that and still ended at 11.30 and was like, uh-oh. And so thankfully, I looked at Becky with panic in my eyes, which is something uh, Pastor Will and I often do. And she's like, let's just do another week. And it was like, oh, great idea. I was so, oblivious. I just kept talking. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, it was, hey, you did great. Um, but... What I appreciated about that is there's a willingness not just for us to be able to say, hey, can you give a week to do this again, but for you to, to say, here's the grace to change plans and shift a little bit. But we also felt like it was important because the questions that you asked were so important. So uh, I'm excited we're going to do this again. Uh, kind of excited because it's a tough conversation, though. It's a tough conversation. Now, the reason that we do this at Crossbridge is you could see some of the uh, things that were up there we have different values that we bring to the table, but before we get to the values of why we do this and, and all that, I am actually just curious for you guys, how did you feel about last week? And then knowing we're gonna be doing it again today, how'd you feel about that? I felt, I thought last week went really great. I mean, we got a lot of feedback, I talked to a lot of you. Um, I thought the time, although we went over the time, was well spent. Um, during the moment when you said we're doing it again next week, I was like, okay, there's the car wash, there's still a youth group, there's still all these things. So I was a little panicked more in time, but uh, I think this is a very important conversation. I'm glad we're having it. So I feel really good that as a church, we decided to have this conversation. Yeah. Yeah, I enjoyed last week. Um, I think I was more nervous last week than this week because I figured well, we've already prepped everything. So we're good to go for the second week. And we had some good conversations this week. I know my Friday morning women's small group, we talked about some stuff. So um, I just feel like it was a good use of time. And yeah, last week didn't feel like we were talking that much, even though it was a much longer message than we intended. So Yeah, I, it was. It went long, but it was important. And so just you're allowed to, as part of a conversation, chime in a little bit here. So if, for you guys, you can amen if something was like, well, it's like, oh, it was a good use of time. If you're like, yeah, I agree. You can, yeah, I agree. Amen. It's, uh, so you could practice. Amen. Okay, good, good. See, this is what talking is like in conversations. Um, last week, we kicked off by reading two passages that I do want to read again for us. The first one is out of James chapter 1 that says, If you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. 
and then the words of Jesus at the Last Supper to his disciples and from John 13 tell us, so now I am giving you a new commandment, love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other, for your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. We are having this conversation around the topic of abortion and the Supreme Court overturning this rule, be not because we want to pick fights with people or frustrate people, but we do this because, as you saw in that bumper and you know from our values, that we are unashamedly biblical and that we believe the Bible is the authoritative word of God. It's our source for all truth, and if it talks about something, we will talk about something. That's just what we do. Um, we're also, as a church, are intentionally relevant. We don't run from hard qu questions. We don't run from awkward situations because Jesus didn't. He stayed right there. He engaged in real conversation with people around him about what was happening. And finally, we're family-focused. We believe that God cares about families, biologically and chosen. And so we have a family conversation about this. So um, there was a lot that we went over last week, and I'm not sure that everyone was here. So just as a quick sum up, I mean, we, we talked very quickly about uh, Roe versus Wade and the Southeast Philly uh, Planned Parenthood versus Casey cases that were in the Supreme Court. Um, and, and very quickly, w can you just sum that up for us? Sure. Um, Roe versus Wade and um, Planned Parenthood versus Casey basically federalized um, legal abortion across all states, whereas previously it had been chosen on a state-by-state -state basis. So if the draft um, overturns both of those cases, then it just is putting the power back to the states, um, where each state then gets to choose what their abortion laws are going to be. Okay. And so it's going to come back to the states if this goes through, uh, and then it allows each state to decide the abortion rules, but will the conversation that was really important for last week was defining what abortion was because it's pretty vague when people talk about it. Yeah, and obviously that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about abortion. I know some people can say we're talking about being pro-choice or being pro-life. You all know we're talking about abortion, and this is the definition that's actually in the dictionary, right? The deliberate termination of a human pregnancy. So when we're talking about abortion, we are talking about the deliberate termination of a human pregnancy, and if you were here last week, we talked about how we're talking about a life. A life, yes. Um, there were some questions that we hit, and if you missed last week, you can always jump back and watch, but um, questions like, what do you say to people who say you're a man, you don't have a say in this, what about a God who always seems like he's you know, annihilating people and killing people in the Old Testament? Uh, Becky, you walked us through some great passages uh, in the Old Testament, often taken out of context, with the in the context of abortion, but it's not what they were in uh, Numbers 5, and then we talked about Exodus and Ecclesiastes. Um, you know, Pastor Will, you walked us through uh, Luke 1, the f one of the first people to be filled with the Holy Spirit and testify to Jesus as the Messiah was his unborn cousin in Martha's womb. Yeah, a baby in a womb acknowledging the life and saviorship of a baby in another womb. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was, that was awesome. Um, and then the difficult question that came my way, is there any scriptural acceptable reason an allowance for an abortion to which uh, looking through scripture and searching it, I just can't find it anywhere in there. It doesn't make it any less easy to have that conversation, but it's it's there. But then we got all sorts of uh, sciency and sex ed class uh, because this is Crossbridge. <laughs> this is what we do. Um, Becky, the, the big thing there that I think is important that we're all on the same page as we hit this was, uh, when does life begin was the question. Yes. 
And we would say that life begins um, not just at fertilization of the egg and the sperm, but once um, that implants into the woman, that is when life begins. That's when the HCG hormone um, that we then test in pregnancy tests increases. That's also the hormone they track for miscarriages. Um, and then we talked a real quickly just about like IVF and things like that. And one thing um, I love that you guys did give us some feedback mm -hmm. on was um, what, there was a couple more whatabouts. Well, what about this? And we just want to be clear that when we're talking about abortion, we're not talking if there's a medical procedure that needs to be done because a woman has lost the child and the child is just not being born and they, they need help with that. And so we're not talking about if the child has already died because an abortion, remember, is a deliberate termination of the life. So we're not talking about the tragedies of when a woman loses the pregnancy and then needs like a DNC or something to help them be medically okay going forward. Yeah, that's important because uh, according to our country definitions and stats, those would be considered abortions by world, uh, like cultural be world standards. classified medically, as, a, yes. as an abortion, but if the child has already died, you have not chosen that, that's something that's happened to you, and the medical help that you need after that, we would not classify that as an abortion. Yeah, uh, okay, I just feel like that's really important to say. And then, Will, I, I know Jeremy gave you garbage about counting, but you can you counted all those sorts of weeks last week as you gave us the fetal development and like all these weeks and times that things were coming together. That was a lot. Uh, can you sum it up for us real quick? See, I'm not good at counting cars. No. But weeks you did well. But weeks, and you know why? Because we have a lot of resources at our disposal, and you can go into any Planned Parenthood, you can go into any crisis pregnancy center, you can go into almost any school, and you'll find a thing called a fetal development chart, where it talks about pregnancy and talks about how life starts in the womb, and you can see in the first trimester, in the first few weeks, you can see heartbeat, you can see eyes starting to develop, brain is already starting to develop, uh, toes and arms, it's all starting within the first trimester, and there's a heartbeat. Yeah, that was huge. Um, huge. But let's go ahead and now, now that we got some, I know if you're like, wait, I have questions about what you just said. If you weren't with us last week, go watch online. Um, if you're with us online, go watch after this. Uh, because that was really quick and it probably could seem like, wait a second, what? For sure. But even when we're talking about that fetal development chart and talking about first and second and third trimester, we can see through science, right? Science is backing it up. There's really not much debate about when life begins anymore. And we talked about that last week. Um, yeah. But when we deliberately terminate a, pre a human pregnancy, we said, we said it last week, you're taking a life. Mm -hmm. You're deliberately taking a life. Now, the government, and might not say that that's murder, because the definition of murder is um, the unlawful taking of life, right? Unlawful, and they made abortion legal. But through God's eyes in Scripture, we still see it as taking an innocent life in the womb. So abortion is murder, and it is taking a life. Yeah, now the, the church over the last uh, couple of decades has really rallied behind this. Um, and, uh, and a stat that's important last week that you gave that I think is important as we kind of lead into the next question is uh, there are currently approximately about 600 Planned Parenthoods. 600 right? Planned Parenthoods across the And then the advocacy centers. Like the Planned Parenthood will help you get the abortion yeah. and then see you later. Mm -hmm. But the advocacy centers are places where they're going to help coach you through like just so advocacy centers will either help you bring baby to term 
or if you've even gone through with an abortion, they'll help with post-abortive care, meaning counsel you and, and help you with all the things that you're processing afterwards, right? We have about 2,400 in the U.S., right? 600 Planned Parenthoods that will perform abortions, but we have 2,400 advocacy centers that are saying, hey, we are going to walk with you no matter where you are in life, no matter what you've done or mm -hmm. what you th are thinking about doing, we're going to walk with you. And most of those, if not all of them, are funded by local churches. So yeah. the church has been a forefront on this issue, and they care about whole life. Yeah, whole life, not just up to that point. Um, and and it, there are those weird little spots of definitions when it comes to, well, politically it's this, and lawfully it's that. And this is, for us, we would say this is not only a political issue because we want to look at everything through the lens of scripture, but somehow it's become a major political conversation. So let's just address some of those questions. Uh, and the one question that came in, I just I was like, oh, I could have written this one. It's, how do you respond to people who say, you can't legislate morality? We're a country of diverse religious and moral backgrounds. Now, I, I think this is such a great question. Uh, I love this question because personally, I will tell you, I have used this phrase, you can't legislate morality, uh, so many times that you can't make people do what you want. Uh, but if I'm being really honest, when... I used this, it was my way out of difficult conversations. It was my, like, I could just say this statement and it was an excuse to get out because it was uncomfortable. Anybody else use this to get out of a conversation? Oh yeah, a handful of you, I see you. It's like, oh man, um, this, and if you're like, oh, I can use that now. No, you can't, because here's why. Uh, I'm thankful that friends have walked me through this saying, when I said that to them, they're like, but can't you? And and actually, you can't legislate morality. The problem is this is really what all laws do. This is what all laws are doing is uh, whoever is making the laws is legislating what they think is the best moral option for the general population, right? That's what lawmakers do. The problem is when we try to figure out at the top who defines morality then, who defines what's good and bad, because you can't legislate morality. Well, that's still a vague statement, right? As a society, we're always gonna have shifting standards, what we think is acceptable and not acceptable. Um, I, I think when you look back to simple things, uh, an example is when they changed the laws in our country to the drinking age was 21. Right, about 35 years ago, they made a huge change. And I've even talked to my parents when they're like, it wasn't always 21. And it's like, well, why would they change the laws here? And the reality is, is because it was a morality issue, right? It was about what was a good choice and a bad choice. The politicians noticed that uh, motor vehicle accidents and deaths involving 18 to 20 year olds were through the roof when people were intoxicated. Like there was a, a higher percentage of intoxicated 18 to 20 year olds. And so they implemented across the states, it's a mandated 21, years and what they did was they saw a 16% decrease in crashes. 16% decrease. Um, New Jersey, actually, I love this. Uh, you can jump on to New Jersey's uh, you know, website. They went from 88 young people dying a year from you know, drunk driving to since 2007, it's only been about 10 per year. That's a 78% reduction in the amount of deaths. Why? Well, that was legislating morality. They had a value that life was good and we don't want to see it ruined. And if we make this law change, this is good to preserve life. 
And you know, it's funny because I think when we say you can't legislate morality, people are trying to say, as a religious uh, melting pot of a country, you're not allowed to make rules for other religions and other faiths. But the, the reality for our country is, yes, we are a melting pot. And to keep it on topic, when it comes to abortion, um, not, and not when it comes to access to abortion, those are different, but when it comes to abortion, all the faiths that we talk about as our major faiths in our country, they're not as far apart as we think they are. You know, uh, many in Islam, just like Christians, they're a bit scattered in what they believe, but they all agree that uh, together, abortion is permitted only if the woman's life is in danger. That's one, the one exception they would all agree on. But most of the sects from Islam would say that, you know, from conception, this is when it is, but almost universally, every practicing uh, Muslim that I know and throughout their research, they agree after 120 days, they would say this is murder, is what they would define that as. Um, you know, Buddhists, they don't really have any real stance on this. The Dalai Lama, though, he does say abortion is negative, but there are exceptions, right? That's as specific as they're going to get. Um, you know, my Hindi friends, they strongly, strongly condemn Abortion, this is not an option. Unitarians, uh, universalists, um, they, they believe anything is fine, and it's, if you believe it, it's good to go, so they don't really have any stances on this. And even Wiccans, you know, uh, in my friends who are Wiccans, they consider this a spiritual decision that should absolutely not be influenced by the government whatsoever. But when someone were to say to me, if they say, you can't legislate morality, I would say, yes, yes, you can. <laughs> You can legislate morality, and that's what laws are, but everyone's standard of what moral is is not the same. And so that leads to, I think, another great question that we received um, along these lines. Becky, the question I'm going to throw to you that we received was, then how do we submit to an earthly authority that changes its position? Awesome. Um, Have fun. <laughs> So first, as followers of Jesus, um, we are called to submit to God first and foremost, and then to the authority that God has placed over us, both the good and the bad. Submission to human authority doesn't mean that we're never involved in the decision-making process, and we are actually really blessed to live in a country that allows us to be part of that process. We get to respectfully, hopefully respectfully, communicate with our leadership. Um, there's issues that we can vote on. We can vote for who is in leadership. But even if the leadership that we wanted isn't in place, we're called to submit to the leadership above us and to the laws of the state if they don't require us to disobey Jesus. Things like speed limits, stop signs, you know, income tax, those types of things. Um, the only time that we are called to not submit to the leadership above us is when we are asked to do something, to not do something that God tells us to do. So if you look at the book of Acts, when the religious leaders are telling Paul, or Peter rather, and the apostles to stop talking about Jesus, and Jesus has specifically said, go and tell people, they say, we must obey God rather than human beings. The other time that we cannot submit to the leadership above us is when we are told to do something that goes against what God has specifically forbidden. 
And there's lots of examples in the Bible about this. If we look in Exodus, Exodus 1.17 says, The midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. And then in verse 20 it adds, So God dealt with, well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Now, in that passage, what were they asked to do that was forbidden by God? Because you just said, you know, we're... We're, we don't have to necessarily do that or obey it when we're told to do something that goes against what God has specifically forbidden. What were they? So Pharaoh had told them that they had to kill all the baby boys who were born if they were Israelites because he felt like there was too many of them. Okay. So, that, I mean, that's just really important. Like, mm -hmm. okay, don't do that. All right. Sorry. Yeah. So killing a child would be wrong. So the midwife said, we're not going to do that. Um, Anywhere else? Yes. Actually, if you look at the book of Daniel, we have a couple... Um, different times, if you look at you know Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were told to bow down to a golden idol, and they refused to do that, and then were thrown into the furnace. And we know, you know, it's a great story they tell on Sunday mornings in kids' church. You know, God saved them from that. Um, also, another great kids' church one. You know, you have Daniel who refused to pray to the king, um, and he was thrown into the lion's den, and you know, God saved him as well. But I want to make sure that you're clear that I'm saying if you don't submit to something like that, it doesn't mean God's always going to save you. I know there's the examples I gave. Mm -hmm. um, but if you look at other places in the Bible, you know, there's Paul when he was writing. Um, Christians were dying for not renouncing their faith. There was an awful Roman ruler named Nero who had um, outlawed Christianity and was persecuting Christians. And when Christians did not... Um, kind of give in to the sacrifices that he had wanted them to, they were killed. Mm -hmm. So, um, And not just killed. I mean, he'd like impale them on poles for his garden and light them on fire to prove a point. Yes, so he was he, very gruesome. Yeah. Um, he was absolutely an evil ruler. But Paul still, in his writing at that time, told people to submit unless it specifically went against God. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of times this question really boils down to the fact that we don't want to submit to something that doesn't align with what we want. And so we tend to... Oh, say that again, just in case someone in the back missed that. <laughs> just so I think a lot of times it comes down to the fact that we don't want to submit when it doesn't align with what we want. And then we try to throw out the, well, we don't have to. We you know, don't obey you know, men, obey God. But if that's how we approach it, because we all want different things, we end up looking more like the concluding verse of Judges, which says that everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And that's just chaos. So to submit to authority, I totally get, is not easy, especially if you personally don't like the person who's in leadership above you. Um, and I know it has not always been done well, um, especially in the history of the church, it hasn't always been done well. And that actually leads us to another question that we received. Yeah, so it's going to play out. How does the church, you know, kind of apply all this in, in government and how we live? So the question was, the church, big C, so the global church, has a bad reputation in society currently for forcing its beliefs on people and this draft feels like another overreach due to the extent that some states will go to prevent abortions for people who live in that state. How do we handle as a church promote being pro-life without forcing our beliefs on people? So there's a lot <laughs> in this question. Um, so I think we got to kind of break it up a little bit. But the, the first one being uh, the church has a bad 
our reputation in society, in society currently. Um, and unfortunately, I, I kind of agree. I kind of agree. Right? Do I agree that the church is forcing its beliefs on people? No, not necessarily. Do I agree the church has a bad reputation? Kind of. It depends on how you define church, because a lot of people yeah, say they're it depends part of, on the topic. Yeah, well, a lot of people say they're well, I'm a part of the church, but they don't really know what that means to be a part of the church. So, like, if we're talking about the church as a whole, real, true believers who submitted their life to God, submitted their life to Jesus, believe that Jesus truly is Lord, um, real, true believers are out there helping women, saving babies, loving people all over this issue. But sometimes it's the loudest anomaly voices that pretend to be the church, right? Wolves in sheep's clothing that get, that get heard. And unfortunately, it's that of people claiming to come in the name of God, yeah. but not actually doing what he says, right? Standing with signs saying you're going to hell isn't really going to change anyone's mind or help the issue. I'm not saying you can't go into these places and say, hey, I want to pray for you or hey, I want to love you. But if you're standing there saying, hey, you're, you're damned to hell, that's do not really doing it. Do you think um, part of the perception here of how do we handle a church being pro-life without forcing our beliefs, do you, do you think that could be the church is known more for what we're against and showing that to people than what we're for? Because you're saying you can go, go to pray, go to help, go to love, not go saying you're going to hell. Mm -hmm. Do you think that could be part of that, like, ooh, this is hard? Yeah, people will lump that into the, the church, but that's humanity. Yeah. Look at look at the news, right? Turn on YouTube or or anything like you. You see how it's always about like I don't really care what you believe in. I just care what you're against because then you're now infringing on my rights and my beliefs. I don't care what you believe in, but if you're against something that I believe in, now we have a problem. Um, well, so, it's sad that the church looks like you said it's a cultural thing. We're against stuff. Yeah. The church does the, the big C, the right, mm -hmm. whatever. Yeah, it global. doesn't look so different mm -hmm. sometimes. Yeah, and I, when I and when I say the big C church, I can only speak to. The Western church, right? Yes. The American church. I don't know how it's being done overseas. I can only speak here. Um, but we do know, as the church, we are meant to be the forefront of loving others. Mm -hmm. But this, this, this does not mean that we stay silent on the issue. That's right. Right? So just being the church going like, okay, well, we believe abortion's wrong, so we're just going to keep singing in our, in, our, in our sanctuaries or school cafeterias and, and stay silent on the issue. We're just not going to partake. No, we're not meant to stay silent because scripture says, and Jesus says, we are called to stand up for justice, mm -hmm. called to help the helpless, to be a voice for the voiceless, to help the least of these. And there's no one more least or voiceless than an unborn child. But when it goes to forcing our beliefs, we're not forcing anything but standing up for justice. We all believe in something. Every single one of us sitting in this room or who's watching online, every one of us, if we're able to when we vote, stand, stand for or against something on an issue. We're doing it, it's because it's what we believe in. As the church, we are called to speak up for these babies and love them. But we're also called to love the mothers. We're also called to love the fathers. Yes, you're even called to love the politicians. Think about it. Slavery, we can all agree, was an injustice and is an injustice. Was the church called to just ignore it and say we won't have slaves? Absolutely not. But we were to speak up and love and help the helpless. It was the church, right, the true church, those who've given their life to Christ, that played a major role in abolishing slavery because we're not meant to turn a blind eye, but to be active in standing up for justice. So I know I'm talking a lot, but how do we handle as a church promoting being pro-life without forcing our beliefs on people? That was one of the questions. We do our research. Science is not against our faith. Science is not against the church. 
Um, actually, I believe that science is catching up to the Bible and revealing more and more the existence of God and proving more of his care and heart for the unborn. Yeah, I think it's important just that you, you hit there, do your research. I think sometimes we have people who have an opinion on something but no education on something. Like, yeah. it's okay to have an opinion, but to state it as authoritative. But, like, you said science is not against this topic. And it's like, well, the body and this development, it's like the more you look at this, like you talked about last week, over and over and over, but it's important for us as followers of Jesus not just to know God's word first, right? We should know that, but any topic we're going to try to stand up on and into, we should be educated there. Like, we should do some work. No, yeah, and I think it's like a lot of people are saying, like, oh, well, you know, you're a Christian, so you believe in these things, but I'm not. I can defend whether life is life in the womb biblically or scientifically, right? I can use either or, because some people are, yeah, they're not coming with Bibles, but it doesn't make it any less true. It doesn't make God any less authoritative just because you don't believe in him. Mm -hmm. But now I have opportunities yeah, to show you. your driver is Jesus and his love. That may yeah. not be so, I mean, there may be someone who is not following Jesus who has the same passion you do. It's just birthed out of something different. Mm -hmm. But we should be educated on both sides because we never know who we're talking to at any point. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. The, the science is proving the care yeah. that, God, that God cares and has a heart for the unborn. And they are two right? Those unborn lives are made in the image of God mm -hmm. and are living humans. Amen. And we realize that this issue is political, but it's not really a political issue. It shouldn't be. But this isn't about being a Democrat or a Republican. It's about lives. I don't care if you're right-winged. I don't care if you're left-winged. It's about these lives. But the draft is a political issue. It is. So that is why we're dealing with it in politics. So vote. Understand the laws. Do the research. But whatever the outcome is of that draft... Our job as the church stays the same. Amen. We are to love mothers because God wants to redeem their situation. We are to love fathers. We are to love parents. And we are called to love the unborn. Mm -hmm. Instead of condemning, we are loving and showing the love of Jesus, listening to the stories, keep providing resources, keep showing up in places and showing the love of God. We as the church are meant to be the forefront of aid and love and walk with people in their hurt because that's what Jesus does. Mm -hmm. We should get involved, but we should also be this overwhelming, powerful example of the presence of love that we believe in. Not shying away from the truth, but bringing people to the truth in love. The church is not about guilt, shame, or overstepping, but the church is built on redemption, grace, and love. When you say that, like, that's a huge statement that the church is not about guilt, shame, and because I think there is times that we are going to come across that way. You know, the big C church, again, staying to that conversation in the, we'll just say U.S., and knowing that, it's like if, if I were, the, I'll just tell you, the argument that I've heard many times is like, well, I don't approve what they're doing. I don't, I don't like this. I don't like that. Um, how, I, I it doesn't seem like it's full of redemption, grace, and love sometimes. The church might be the hardest place to come into. And so how do you, how do you, the question that I loved that asked that kind of deals with that was, was this question. I want to keep it there because of that statement that you just made. So, Will, this is to you. What's the difference between loving someone and condoning their actions or position? Why do churches compromise, and by compromise they're saying don't love or do condone, on both of these. Does that, does that question make sense? Yeah. Okay. So how can we love people but not condone their actions? Y yeah. yeah. How, how do you, what's the difference between loving and condoning and, you know, why do churches seem to screw this up? 
for sure. So I'm going to go off script for a second. There you go. I think, we need, I think we need to understand our definition of love, right? And this is something I say a lot. I say it in the youth ministry. I, I say it with groups of friends. Loving someone does not give them the allowance to do whatever they want. Um, so thanks. So <laughs> loving, loving people, right? If I, I love my son who can't walk yet or grab things, but if he could, I love him wholeheartedly. One day he's going to want to put his finger in a socket or, or, you know, try maybe play with the stove. Do I condone it because I love him? Absolutely not. Love doesn't mean being boundaryless. It doesn't mean letting people do whatever they want. Love is speaking the truth to them, even if it hurts, but doing it with compassion, right? We love them, so we don't want them to get hurt or hurt others. And can I just add that love doesn't always feel like love to the person who's getting the yeah. correction. Because I know sometimes my kids will even say, you don't, you know, you don't love me because you're not letting me do. It's like, no, because I love you, I do. Mm -hmm. But I think we often are listening to our own desires and the heart tells us that, or the Bible tells us that our heart is deceitful. And so a lot of times the things that we want are not actually the things that are good for us. And so when there are loving boundaries that are put up there, it might not feel like love to the other person. But our feelings are not truth. Our feelings can be truthful, mm -hmm. but that's not our standard for what is truth or what is love. Just because something doesn't feel loving doesn't mean that it isn't. Well, and just because it doesn't feel loving, we talked last week when we looked at scripture over and over, there's all these rules and boundaries that God sets up around our sexuality in this conversation, right? How do you, what's the difference between loving someone and condoning their actions? When it comes to our sexuality, God has a very, very clear definition of what a simple sexual ethic is. One male, one female in the context of marriage, and sex should be this beautiful gift that he's given us to enjoy, to procreate, to fill the earth, right? Anything, anything, any, any, anything outside of that covenant relationship is where our problems start to come into play. This is outside of God's simple plan, and it's like, well, God's not loving. He's not letting me do whatever I want. I should be able to sleep with who I want and do this what I want. Uh, you should love me, and love is letting me do all those things. But God's like, I've got these boundaries for you, not because I hate you, but because I love you, and I know what happens when you're outside of that. So, Will, what is it then? How would you answer this? What's the difference then between loving and condoning? For sure. So um, I want to look at John chapter 8. Um, and this is a story, most of you will know, about the woman caught in adultery. And in the story, the religious leaders are trying to trap Jesus, right? This is, this is, it's a political trap of their day. And they find this woman who was caught in an affair, and they throw her at his feet and ask, should we stone this woman? Stoning by, you know, throwing rocks, not marijuana. Um, <laughs> that would be very different. We're defining outcome. terms, so I want to make sure we define yeah. all the terms. Thank you. But the trap is, the trap is... I'm really going off script. Sorry. I love this. Can I just tell you, I love our church for reasons like that. Thank you. Yeah. The trap is, if he stones her, he isn't being loving. But if he doesn't, then is he condoning? So what's Jesus going to do? So you have this intense moment where stones are at the ready to pelt this woman dead. What was Jesus going to do? How does he love and how can he condone? So it says this in verse 6 of John chapter 8, they were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stood up, wrote in the dust with his finger, and they kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned 
throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, being, beginning with the oldest until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. Then Jesus said, neither, neither do I. Go and sin no more. So Jesus looks at this woman, this woman thrown at his feet in the dirt, thinking that at her, any point her life's about to be over. He picks up her face, basically, and says, where, where are those who are accusing you? Where are your accusers? Do they condemn you? Neither do I. Jesus loved her in this moment. He saw her. He showed real, true love and did not condemn her, but showed grace, love, and mercy. We can't miss the last line. Go and sin no more. By no means did he condone her actions. He didn't make light of her actions or turn a blind eye. He loved her, and he called her to more. That's real love, calling someone to more, to their best. He loved her and called her to a new life and redemption. And we can love and support people without condoning their actions. We don't have to hide the truth. We don't have to be silent. And, but we do not have to be condemning. Amen. We love and are called to abundant life. Amen. Yeah, you can amen that. Come on. That's, yeah, Amen. I love the fact that at Crossbridge we try to live in this tension. Yeah. Um, we try to love and not condemn people while still holding true to our value of being unashamedly biblical. Um, we have always, as a church, worked to support life in its different various stages. And I want to just give you a quick history of things that Crossbridge has done. Because I know sometimes people say, well, the church hasn't done anything. But if we look, Crossbridge supports life. We fight human trafficking, both in the past with International Justice Mission, and currently we have the ACT Challenge with Worthwhile Wear happening with CB Local. And if you want to get involved in that, there are forums up at the front that you can get, scan the QR code, because that is still going on for at least another month, I believe. We have also supported the homeless ministries, both through the Sunday Breakfast Rescue Mission and once a month, the CB Youth gets together and they make sandwiches for Cathedral Kitchen and they get distributed there. How many sandwiches you guys make? I always say 300. But, but it's Will Math. So. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so. Until uh, <laughs> we run out of baggies, so yeah, over 100. Uh, how many sandwiches, really? 300. Yo, about right. 300, what up? We washed about 100 cars. Yeah, about 300. <laughs> Yeah, we that's, I mean, th we do, th that's huge. <laughs> we do do things. Um, and it's not just the adults, but it's, it's you know, our teens and youth as mm -hmm. well. We, um, and kids can help as well. A lot of our CB local drives, kids can help do them. Um, we support women through Unforgotten Haven, um, and that typically is supporting women coming out of domestic violence situations. We have donated medical supplies to refugees in the Middle East um, with our CB global trip last year. We have a special needs ministry that you've been hearing a lot about recently as we're trying to um, get more of that happening. We also have our Night to Shine prom for individuals with special needs. We have individuals in the church who they have fostered children. They have adopted children. They, we have people who are court-appointed special advocates for children in foster care. We also have um, walked an individual through pregnancy um, in youth group and beyond, um, helping in that situation. And once again this summer, and you'll hear more about it over the next few weeks, but we'll be doing our Together We Rise foster care bags again. 
um, which help provide dignity and worth to children in foster care. And we are also going to be supporting a um, advocacy center called Options for Women in Cherry Hill. We're going to be doing a collection this summer with CB Local, and it's also going to be one of the things we support in our Christmas offering this coming year. So I just want to make sure people understand that this isn't just a one to two week conversation that we've had as a church. It's ongoing in all the things that we do. We're always looking for ways to support life at all its stages. And so as you are thinking and processing, think about what is your next step with this? How can you engage yeah. in one of these areas? That's so amazing. And, and I just, Crossbridge, there's very few things. When I look at that giant list, there's few things that make pastoring so full, like a job that you look at and go, I cannot believe I get to do this, than watching how you have so faithfully and consistently cared for all life that would come through this door and maybe never come through this door. Um, and those foster bags that we get to do, I can't wait to color those again. Um, Katie, I think you're here in this area. I can't see you there, but so many of the things that we do and have done in the recent past of Crossbridge and are doing now are birthed out of your vocation of loving people, right? This is what you do. And so I just want to say thank you for leading us so well and, and helping us to love all of these individuals. So um, Crossbridge, I'm proud of you. I'm so proud of you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for stepping up. And uh, the, the question that I think to close it that we got, it was, so, it was asked so many different ways, but it really came down to how do I talk about this? How, how do I bring up all of these things? Because as much as like, I want to talk to my neighbor about this, can I borrow Pastor Will for a barbecue? And it's like, well, if there's food, maybe. Um, you know, Don't ask me to count anything. <laughs> <laughs> how Jeez, many? Everyone talked about my counting today. <laughs> we still love you, Will. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So listen, when it comes to this question, uh, everybody's going to be in a different place. Would you agree? Yep. So here's some tips that I, that I want to give you to help to talk about this conversation. It's going to take time to, to, do, to have conversations with people. It's going to take a lot of trust. And here is my one rule. If you want to write something down, this is what you want to write down. If you want to talk about this, don't talk about it on Facebook. Amen. I'm just telling you now, anytime you think you're going to argue your point on Facebook and win against some troll, you just got punked. The enemy is won. You will not win an online conversation because whatever site you can post, they're going to post something different and you've won nothing. If we do not see people, talk to people, hear people, look at them, we are in trouble. Get off of Facebook. It's a waste of your time. So what I hear you saying is that relationship is important. <laughs> Relationships are important here. So the first thing that this is my first tip to give you is this. Listen. Just listen. Um, we talked right when we started. James 1. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must be what? Quick to listen. Slow to speak and slow to get angry. Listen, we're quick to speak and get angry, right? But James says there's two, one slow, two, or one quick, two slows. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. Um, I think, honestly, people do want to talk about these, these issues. People want to um, have good conversations about this, not arguments, but they're scared because they don't want to get yelled at. People do not want to be yelled at and belittled. So when it comes to listening, the best thing that you could do is learn to ask better questions. Yeah, I just want to share one quick thing about that. Uh, I remember a, a few years ago, I was talking to someone. They were vulnerable, and they, and they shared, like, hey, this is kind of why I think about the issue, and this is what's kind of going on. 
um, I remember vividly, like I, I'll never forget it, because one of the few moments I feel like I really heard the Lord, I feel like I really heard the Lord, yeah. but I remember saying that, or thinking, we'll just don't say anything, just, just listen. That does wonders. I'm not saying be silent, I've already talked about that. I'm not saying don't be silent, stand up for the issue, stand up for what's going on, stand up for these lives, but you have no idea the power of listening to someone share their story and the vulnerability of that. Um, I don't know my point. I guess it's just to say listen's very, listening is very important. Never forget how powerful it is to listen to someone bear their heart mm-hmm. because just listening can change the, whole entire tr- 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 change the whole entire conversation. And listening isn't just being quiet while you're waiting for your turn to speak. It means that you're actually hearing what the person is saying, hearing their heart, hearing what's going on, and you're not just waiting to jump in with what you think. Crossbridge, let's be the ones who start with questions. If someone has the trust enough to share things or have a conversation so intimate and personal, let's be the one to ask good questions. Instead of coming up with a point, what if they share something and a great question is, well, how did that make you feel in that time? How do you feel about that now? Well, it's interesting that you would come to this place. What got you here? These are all great questions. Um, Anytime someone shares a story when it comes to uh, specifically any of these hot topics, but especially about abortion and Crossbridge, I, I, I want to tell you that it has been a privilege and a burden at the same time for all of us to hear stories where m- many women have been in this place to make this decision and, and not knowing what to do, and it's been difficult, and you've trusted us enough to share that. And, and that is a huge thing. And the, the thing I would say is if someone trusts you enough to say that, my biggest request to you is to say thank you. Thank them for trusting you enough to share that with you. Don't prove them wrong. Don't yell at them. Just thank them in that moment. And this leads us to the second thing. So first you listen, then I would love for you to pray and to care. Pray and care. Um, I don't think these are separate, but they are individual. Uh, We should absolutely be praying for life to be preserved. I believe that. We should be praying for abortion rates to continue to decrease. We should be praying for God's kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. But if you listen well, you will find that you now have specific ways to be praying for the people in your life who share these stories. And and if there's a story that someone shares with you about an abortion, um, praying that they experience the love and the forgiveness of God is the first and most amazing place to start. If they have confessed that to you, they have been carrying that, there is a huge trust that they have. You need to bless them for sharing that with you. And encourage them that God brings hope and redemption and forgiveness. And not one decision that we have ever made in the past is outside of God's ability to forgive and show grace to. Amen? Amen. We need to remember that, that that's our first response. Because the enemy will use shame to lock us down and keep us from sharing things. Um, But here's the deal. You don't get to just pray and walk away. I believe that we are God's answer to so many people's prayer in this area. That we say, I'll pray about it when God's saying, stop praying about it. You know the answer. It's go love them. Go help them. Go walk with them. It's not just about can you vote and do your duty. You need to actively step and start caring for people and walking with them in their life. 
through a situation that I promise you they never intended to be in. This means, this is good for our church. You're going to have to get messy. You know that? It's going to get messy, which leads us to the last thing that after you listen, after you pray and you care, is to simply talk. You're going to have to open your mouth. If you keep finding yourself getting into fights when you talk to people about this stuff, go back to listening in prayer. Start, you know, if you can't get to not quick to be angry, then shut your mouth because you're not, you're not helping. Go back to prayer and listening until God can shape your heart for empathy for others to have a good conversation, okay? Um, but these are conversations that we have to have. We cannot be absent from things like this. Um, and listen, I, I'm begging you as... If you are here and you are a follower of Jesus, you need to start having conversations about healthy sexuality in your own homes. Do not let sex be a conversation. You let the world start to define for you, for your kids, um, and don't blame it. Oh, well, the public school's ruining my kids. And No, listen, they, they've got whatever they're going to do, they're doing, but the biggest influence on any kid's life, statistically speaking, over and over and over, is a parent. Have conversations about healthy sexuality, options, choices, what you believe is a biblical, ethical approach to sex in your home. And don't shy away from it thinking, oh, my kids don't want to talk about it. Yes, they do. In age-appropriate ways. And I could already see some of the faces of teenagers going, please don't tell my parents to talk about this. <laughs> oh, God. Like, I see I might throw up. Um, I'm not telling you to talk about your sex life with your kids, but I'm telling you to talk about God's design for sex. His simple sexual ethic that will help them not be in a situation where they might have to make a tough choice or have a, you know, a partner make a tough choice. You have to talk about this, but you need to have a biblical worldview on this. Make sure people know specifically in your home and in your families that they are not alone. If they find themselves in a situation where they don't know what to do, that you are safe to come to and will not shame them, but you will walk with them. And I'm going to say this as clear as I can. If you're watching online right now, if you're here or you will listen later, if you find yourself unexpectedly pregnant, I am begging you, come to Crossbridge. I am begging you, fill these seats. I am begging you to come here because we will walk through that mess with you. We will help drive you to appointments. We will help cover food. We will help figure out insurances. We will help if you want to parent them, figure out how to do that. We will help if you want to um, figure out if there's someone who, you know, maybe in adoptions. We will walk with you to tell you there's a hundred choices you can make, but at this church, we do not believe that abortion is an option, but if you've been down that road, we will help care for you and get you connected to good counseling. We need to be the place that cares before, during, and after all of pregnancy, but please, if you're pregnant or you find yourself or a friend that way and they don't know what to do, come here. Come here. Please come here. Crossbridge, are you willing to get messy and sit next to someone who may be a teenager or their 20s, they're single, they're pregnant, they don't know what to do? Will you walk with them? Okay, because... We don't get the right to say any of this if we don't show up. So I'm begging you, get here. Please bring them here. There won't be shame. Um, we will get you whatever you need. So the question and the unspoken prayer that everyone has if they find themselves in this situation is, what am I supposed to do? Please come here. But I'm, as you leave today, I beg you that you would choose your words wisely when you do talk about this. Let your words be seasoned with grace and empathy and, and love because people will, you know, they will listen to what you say and know if you are trustworthy enough to tell them 
to tell you their biggest secret in that moment that they don't know what to do. So when you speak to other people, do not throw people who disagree with you under the bus or, you know, how dumb are they? You don't get to do that because someone is listening and you may be the answer to the prayer that they are praying. So may our words be seasoned with grace and empathy. So Crossbridge, we will listen. We will pray. We will care. We will talk. And I know that there's a lot of unanswered questions still with this. My favorite comment from last week was, thanks for saying these things. It led me to ask like a hundred more questions. Welcome to a conversation, not a stance. Jesus leaves almost every situation this way with people, which I love him for that. But it continues 2,000 years later. This is what we do. So I want to thank you for being a church that gives us the freedom to have these conversations. And it's a privilege for us to be loved by you and to love you this way. Thank you for doing that. Um, and so the same thing as last week. Will, can I pass it to you to uh, close us out with communion? You could stand up like last week if you want or not. So if you uh, need communion, just lift your hand and someone will bring it to you. I'm going to stand. I don't want you to forget what we talked about just last week when we talked about communion and even this week is that forgiveness is, is available to everyone. We, we, we can't forget that. You know, in John 8, the woman's thrown at Jesus' feet to be stoned for her sin. The reality is I think we can all resonate with that and go, any of us could, be, could have been thrown at Jesus' feet. Maybe we even feel that way, that we've sinned too much, and that if we were ever to look at the face of Jesus, he would turn away and condemn us. But we learn from stories like John 8 that he wouldn't. But he forgives us, and he calls us to more because he loves us. Right? Communion is the living out, the showing of the gospel, that Jesus broke his body for us. And I love what he says. And that like the wine or the cup or the juice is his blood poured out for what? For the forgiveness of sins. None of us in this room can outsin the cross. I'm not saying try and do that, but you can't. If you're wrestling with something, Jesus wants to forgive you. And if you wrestled and already repented and told Jesus you're sorry, let me remind you, you've already been forgiven. That's the beauty of communion. So you stand with me as we take this. He took the bread and he said, this is my body broken from you. Take and eat. Then he took the cup and he said, this is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink. Let's pray together. God, you are so holy, so worthy. And right now we praise your name. Jesus, we thank you that you came and lived a sinless life and took our place upon the cross because sin required a penalty and that penalty was death. But you took our place so we wouldn't have to die, but we could have this relationship with you. And then you rose again to prove that. Right now, God, we praise you for the forgiveness of our sins.
Jesus, right now we pray for anyone who does not know you but is wrestling that Holy Spirit you would press upon their heart, Holy Spirit, and you will bring them to a saving knowledge of you. That if anyone in this room or online or that we know is wrestling through shame and doubt and hesitation, that Holy Spirit you would speak so clearly to them that they would know forgiveness is available to them. Right now, Jesus, we pray for all of those people who are wrestling through this issue. Mothers, fathers, even politicians, that, Jesus, you work in their heart and that they know that they are loved by you, that they're created in your image and you desire to know them and have a relationship with them, that even those who have gone through this, their sin is covered too. Who are we to ever throw stones, God? But you call us worthy. You bring us to your communion table. And Jesus, right now, we lift up all those unborn lives, that we would be a church that makes disciples of those who are here and those who are coming. We love you, Lord Jesus. It's in your name we pray. And God's people said, remember there's prayer available in the cafeteria across the hall about anything. If you need prayer about anything, please go over there. And there's people who want to pray with you. Have a great week.